Everything in life is story. Story is how we share ideas, politics, vision, fantasies, experiences, even our hopes and dreams. The Gibson Gazette is a podcast show devoted to story. Those we consume, those we tell ourselves, and those told to us. Hello and hello and hello to everyone. It's your girl AMC. How you doing? And I'm here with our boy LMG. How you doing, LMG? I'm good. I'm good. Um, working hard, working a lot, a little tired, but I'm um, going to try to make sure I have high energy for today's show. That's right. That's right. You got to come with it. Come with it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm right there with you. I'm tired. I am hanging on by a string. I am counting the days until Friday because I want to sleep on the weekend. That's that's what I'm looking forward to. That's what's up. So what stories have you been consuming over the last two weeks that you want our audience to know about, um, but we're not going to go too deep on about today? Uh, okay. You know, that's hard, right? Um, there's so many stories. Um, okay. I'll leave the Canadian food shortage for another day. And um, I will tackle um, an, a piece that I read on um, Shadow and Act about Storm Reed's stance on her, uh, the lack of stylists with black hair expertise on film and television shows. Now, I know this is going to be, it's, it's like mentioning this ad nauseum, right? Because at this point, it's, it's really infuriating to me. <laughs> Every time I read an article like that to this day, it still gets me heated because this is not something that has, has come up in the last year. This is something we've been discussing ad nauseum for years. And to me, it only makes sense that if you have a person of color, particularly Black, because we like to rock our naturals, that you should have, even if it's one actress, one actor, somebody got to be on set that'll be able to line them up properly. This is absolutely ridiculous. Like, it's disrespectful. And it makes it look like our natural hair is an imposition. You know what I mean? Instead of mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, an educational moment for you to go out there and be like, oh, damn, let me see how I could learn to, you know, cornrow. Or, I mean, not that I'm asking my white people to go out and learn to cornrow. If you want to do that, go ahead, do that. But on the other hand, it would be nice for the set to hire another black, you know, salon. Barber stylist. Barber like, we, we stylist. Certainly, we certainly aren't at a lack of black hairstylists in our communities, and right? That was my next thing. Exactly that. Exactly. Like, we have them all over. So there's not, you can't say, oh, I couldn't find anybody because usually that is what they fall back on. Oh, we couldn't find anybody to fill this. Give me a break. Give me a break. I mean, it, like, years ago, I wrote a piece for um, Bustle. Okay. So I yes, I wrote a piece for Bustle when um, New York had come out with their uh, law that would and and it's not they don't want to say allow, but this is really what it is that allows black people to wear their natural hair in its natural state in cornrows, locks, or Afro puffs, or like who needs permission for that? You know what I mean? I mean? We have a and, federal law now, the Crown Act. Yeah, the Crown Act. That's exactly mm-hmm. it. Right. So I'm like, <sighs> because this could be a whole episode, I'm just going <laughs> to say <laughs> that 
that I, I literally, like, I got heated, as you can tell, because um, just natural hair on the whole is just a big thing for me. I was natural before the whole movement even came around, so I didn't even have that buffer. And then when it came around, it was a beautiful thing to see. Um, a friend and I actually started co-hosting a really popular annual natural hair event. So it, it's something really close to my heart that I really like to discuss and, and share. But when, um, you know... Uh, when these things happen, it's just it, it's unbelievable to me because I, I just think that's just really disrespectful, plain and simple. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, it always reminds me of Donnie's song, um, "Cloud Nine and talking Cloud about Nine. Right? <sighs> <laughs> uh, those you music fans will know exactly what I mean. And if you're not hip to Donnie's uh, debut album, which is still like the best of his work, um, yes. the colored section. Uh, Cloud Now was the single from that a generation ago now. Um, anyway, I have been getting ready all week for Sunday, which is uh, this month's uh, Gibson Gazette Book Club selection discussion about Mbolo Mbui's elegiac African adult fable, How Beautiful We Were, which is just, mm. I love the title, How Beautiful the We title, Were. The title, yes. Yeah, and the title... Um, resonates all the more when you finish the work. But the book is about a fictional African village that defends itself over multiple generations against a multinational oil company whose environmental racism has been poisoning the people of the village and they're killing their children through its reckless handling of oil extraction on the village's land. And uh, I I love the work. I finished it this week. actually uh, did it through Audible and had the reader... um, replay the last two chapters of it because I wasn't ready to let go of the people. Um, But the work is David M. versus Goliath fable is fairly relentless in its honesty Mm -hmm. and bleak in its historical overview of how villagers have had to manage itself against outsiders since the advent of slavery and colonialism. It also Mm -hmm. boasts what I think is one of the best opening chapters I've ever read in years on Audible, it's also that particular part is beautifully read in part by Princess Onayami, who's this amazing African um, uh, reader of Audible books. I, I, I love this so much. I went and bought yeah. like three other works by him that he reads. On. Oh, wow. Uh, so, uh, so that, and for those who may not be familiar, the Gibson Gazette Book Club, we have a, a group on Facebook, and you can find out what our next selections are. We actually have the next two or three selections already picked. Um, nice. I also completed season one of Showtime's Yellow Jackets, which I highly recommend. Oh, and we may talk about in the future, for those who may not be familiar, Yellow Jackets is a show about a group of um, all women's or all girls soccer team whose plane crashes in the Canadian wilderness. And they're stuck there for 19 months. And how do this group of teenage girls survive for mm, 19 mm, months? Mm in the mountainous woods of Canada. Um, I'm not so, finished yet, but I'm still on it. <laughs> I have finished season one, which has me, my whistle wet for season two. Um, nice. So I definitely love that. Uh, for the today's episode, I also wanted to do something I f- failed to do in the episode one, and I wanted to make sure that uh, this episode is in tribute to Rashad Allison, who was a cultural critic for the Virginia Pilot, as well as... Um, just a music and cultural critic and an author. Uh, he has an amazing debut memoir of his coming of age story as a boy. Uh, Rashad was originally the my partner 
for this podcast show, along with um, Maisha Kai, who I'd reached out to um, before she got the glow up on the root. And now she's right? for the Grio. Um, and, uh, you know, so I just wanted to give a shot, like the, the seeds that created the Gibson Gazette was discussions that I had with both of them, um, a few years ago, uh, before, long before AMC and I came together and decided to give this a shot with each other. So I want to give this show in tribute to them. I also want to make sure I reminded folks to be sure you like subscribe, follow, and share on whatever platform you're listening to or watching us on. Also, comment or review wherever possible so that we can climb the charts of the various platform algorithms the show is on. We were very lucky. Our debut episode um, premiered at number one on Potomatic's Entertainment News. (laughs) Thank you all for those of you who took the time to listen and share. Uh, And I guess we can go ahead and get on with the show with our Loving It segment. You want to take it away? Uh, so for those sure. of you who don't know, Loving It is opening with those stories that are positive, that we absolutely love and recommend people check out. So AMC, you go ahead. All right. So I am going to go the Canadian route A <laughs> this week, since y'all are so hung up on the A. Okay. And I was just for you. And um, I'm going to go with the CBC. So the CBC, which I'm sure a lot of people know about, it's the Canadian Broadcasting Corp. And um, they are the peeps up here that basically give us a breadth into um, Canadian culture through document documentaries, um, shows, and exposés, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Canadian living. So what they did recently was they uh, created an introspective look into the lives of Black Canadians with uh, a special page on CBC entitled Being Black in Canada. Um, It's funny because during our narcissist talk, we were discussing um, being Black in Canada, right? But what I really love um, about the site itself is that it goes into a little bit of everything. It it gives you a window into the celebration of Black culture, Canadian style. Um, And most of us are descendants, of course, of Caribbean, um, African, or... The diaspora <laughs> that have, <laughs> have come and planted themselves in this cold ass country. So um, they also um, went and did another project in conjunction to uh, being black in Canada, and it's called uh, Being Black in the Prairies. So now for people that do not know, the prairies are out west. And out west, we have um, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. So those three provinces are considered the prairies. Um, So this Black on the Prairies uh, project began as a multimedia platform project. So there's audio, there's video, and um, online formats that's led by um, senior reporter Omara Issa and CBC radio host if, if, I hope I say her name right. So it's Ifi <laughs> Chiwetelu. All right. So Black on the Prairies explores the history and present lives of Black people on the prairies through their triumphs and challenges. Now, let me tell you guys something. Even as a Black woman in Canada, I'm sometimes taken aback when I hear of Black people living in those rural places. Honest to God. 
Um, and, and it's remote, okay? So you have to understand that's a lot for Black people to take on. As did y'all not get, get out there? Uh, did y'all get Child. out and not premiere in Canada? I'm confused. Listen, <laughs> well, listen, listen. When it comes to, I think we, we're so fat, uh, not even fascinated, we're fixated on the big hubs here. So it's always Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver. Those are like the three big hubs in Canada. But there's so much more to Canada. There really, really is. Um, so uh, there, there are a lot, as I said, great stories that have to be shared. And they are being shared through this platform. So it's nice to see this. And on top of that, what they did recently, which I think maybe even Monday, as, as recent as Monday, is they released a teacher's guide that teachers can use as classroom curriculum. So I think that is huge in itself because we're talking about teaching Black Canadian history because when you look at it, what's transpiring now is going to become history, right? Mm -hmm. So that being taught in schools right now is fantastic. But of course, the big question comes up. It's not something that, that is mandatory. Therefore... How many teachers will actually use this information for the students to actually learn about? There's a a 200-year history of Black people in the prairies. Who knew? Not this Black person. So can you imagine (laughs) those children in school who are are not even learning about our Black history? Because that's not being taught in school at all. We're totally erased from, you know the whole, from textbooks, et cetera, et cetera. So being that this is just like a little capsule, how are they going to gauge who's using what? And it would really be nice to see a lot of teachers use this in the curriculum. I mean, so I, I think that's that's that it, it sounds great. I mean, there also seems to be, to me, though, a lot of parallels to the Black American experience, to the Black Canadian mm-hmm. experience. Uh, we don't know enough about Black folks out West. Um, you know, Oklahoma's history is rich with Black folks. Um, since at one point we tried to make that uh, an all-black state, uh, the indigenous people were not having that, uh, <laughs> but that was something that we <laughs> that we tried um, in the 19th century. Uh, Shamari Willis's book, which I've I've referenced last episode, Black Fortunes, also talks um, in pretty good detail about that experience. I mean, usually when we think about Oklahoma and indigenous people, we just think about the trails of the trail of tears. But um, there was a black history there, too, that we also are not educated about here. So, um, yeah, I I think that you're being very generous to even think that uh, our American audience anyway, even knows what the Canadian Broadcasting Company Corporation is. Some uh, do. I think, <laughs> I think that Some most of do. us just know Carabana, and that's it. And <laughs> we think well, I'm here to spill you. I am here to give you the tea. Okay, this is what yes, I'm here for. Yes, please give us the tea. We are definitely yes. educated about the Black experiencing in Canada. I think just a lot of us, some, are some of us are like, Canadians oh, we want to get out of America. <laughs> I said some of us Canadians are too. Trust me. We're like... We're just yeah, when confused, we talk about Canada and Black but... America, we talk about how we're going to rush to escape to get there. Like, that's the promised land. And you're telling us it's not the promised land. So you're it's messing not. up a lot of people's hopes and dreams. Sorry, I'm here to bust your bubble. <laughs> <laughs> Every election cycle well, that we lose, Black folks are like, I'm going to Canada. I'm researching Canada. I know. 
Do you know how many times I've received? So you got space in your place? Do you have a basement? I'm like, bruh, I love you, but it's not going to work. Um, but so it all... how do people access this? Um, you know, if they're not in Canada, is it available online? It um... sure is. That was my next thing. Yeah, I was going to definitely share. You can um, follow them on Instagram under CBC being black in Canada, all one word. And you can also check them out on the CBC uh, website. So that's www.cbc.ca backslash news backslash Canada backslash being black in Canada backslash all. There you a lot go. of backslashes. There's like a lot of backslashes. At that moment, like, that was a lot of backslashes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, Thank what do you, you have on there? Yeah, thank you for that loving it. That was that was very informative. I got to check that out. I, yeah. I you know, I'm a I love being a student of Black history, and I have my uh, Black Up program, which I'll talk a little bit more about later on in this episode. Uh, Black Legacies okay. and Culture Academy that I do with Black expat teams here in Mexico, um, and yeah, that's just right up our alley of things we would like to explore. But right now, I'm still teaching them about Black in America, which is its own long thing right mm-hmm. i am loving the debut episode of julian fellows of doubt and abby's fame the gilded age on hbo max its opulence yes. is dazzling um so is all the money spent on the cgi and the mgm and warner brother hollywood <laughs> studio era set designs like it's so expensive it's beautiful like, you see every dollar um the period pieces you know, perfectly overly fussy dress design. You know, it's society shade. You know, I'm here always here for some good shade and elitism, um, which ultimately ends mm-hmm. up just being dressed up high school dramatics and politics. And all of it is lush and epic in scope and grandeur and pettiness, right? Boy, so from the beginning. Petty. <laughs> right. <laughs> we start with petty and uh, we end with petty. Uh, mm-hmm. It also boasts so many Broadway stars. I mean, folks will be tired of me talking about Broadway stuff by the end of the series because uh, I am a total <laughs> Broadway nerd. And we get six-time Tony Award winner Audrey McDonald in the show. We get two-time mm-hmm. winner Christine Bransky, two-time winner Cynthia Nixon, two-time winner Donna Murphy, seven-time nominee and one-time winner Kelly O'Hara. I'm waiting for the musical episode. I'm sure it's going to be like everybody singing oh down. Um, <laughs> that would be weird. I don't know how they're going to pull that off. Like, But they have so many people who, who blow that I, I can't imagine them not having at least one episode where people sing. Um, the character Peggy Scott, which is a black woman in the 19th century, the show is set in 1888, um, is played by Danae Benton. She herself is a Broadway star. Um, also gives us a window into the old black moneyed class in Brooklyn and potentially mm-hmm. the reconstruction era um, experience of upwardly mobile black people in the North, which is also a bit of history that we don't often get a, a lot of information about. Right. Um, but black folks who are still nonetheless treated as second class citizens for fans interested in the direction the series may take. I strongly recommend a 2018 PBS American Experience documentary also called The Gilded Age, um, which is illustrated in some of the seeds planted in the 90-minute debut of the show with Carrie Coon's character giving us shades of Alva Vanderbilt, who was considered new money. You know, now today we think of Vanderbilt, we think of very old money. But in 1888, the Vanderbilts were not considered old money. They were considered nouveau riche. 
and very declassé. Um, and so we get a little bit of that through Carrie Coon's character. Donna Murphy's also portraying the very real life keeper of the 400 member um, high society list. That was the list you could not, the list did not go over 400. Now, technically I've heard that the list was actually more like 287, but um, in oh. the lore of it is that there was a list of 400 members of society and you know, you're either in or you're out of Old Money New York based on your presence mm-hmm. on that list. So the show does all of that, and clearly I'm in love with it. But as much as I love it, it does beg the question, why do those of us who know the true bloody history of how these kinds of people in real life built their wealth, you know, on the backs of Black folks, poor folk, Chinese, Mexican, Indigenous people, But we can't get enough of these period stories about this oligarch class, either then or now, you know. And so what do you think that's about? And is our experience with loving these kind of stories Stockholm Syndrome that made Hollywood Westerns all the rage for two or three generations before that became passe to celebrate these kind of mythic stories of displacing of people? Um, So I'm curious, like, what do you think? Why do we love the Downton Abbeys and the you know, God knows every BBC miniseries, limited series that comes out, um, you know, and we we lap these stories up, but they're really about people who made their wealth and their social standing on the black, on, by oppressing black and brown people and exploiting their labor. So, you know, got to get That's a little true. heavier because it's Gibson Gazette, y'all. It's just what we do. So what do you think? I mean, you know, I never, I never thought of it that way because now as you pose it that way I'm like god damn it's true (laughs) because I'm an English lit student so like that's what we had to read all of the you know the the classics the Jane Eyre's and the um, Weathering Heights they're all uh, yeah all of that Weathering Heights and and stuff so when you when you when you put it like that now it's it's getting my wheels turning (laughs) and I'm like okay (laughs) Right. Uh, the funny thing is that I, um, I, I actually did not watch Downtown Abbey. Don't stick me, but yeah, I, I did not. Yeah, I didn't um, get into that. The same way that I don't, and I love period pieces. This is the thing. I actually do love period pieces. Uh, but that one, yeah, Downtown Abbey wasn't for me. Um, neither are Westerns. Westerns yeah, is the one thing that I, could, I just could not get down with at all. Uh, that wasn't my thing. So it I had to giggle with the Stockholm syndrome. I <laughs> it's like you're holding people's um psyche for <laughs> wow. Um uh, I, I I really now I really have to think about that one because you, you've pushed me into a corner with that. Uh you're absolutely right. Um because when I, I'm I'm thinking not even just uh this show in particular, but there's another show, uh, what's it called? Um, it's Bruce Lee's daughter, Warrior. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Oh, I love, it's, love oh, Warrior. I learned I so, much so much about the Chinese Exclusion Act and the experience of Chinese people. Um, for those who may not know where to find Warrior, that's on HBO Max as well. And it was so successful on HBO Max because the show was originally not coming back. It was going to be canceled. Um, they right. decided to bring it back 
because so many people checked it out on HBO Max. Um, and I'm so grateful because I, you know, it made me go and do some more reading and some more education about the experience of the Asian American experience in San Francisco and mm -hmm. California um, in the 19th century, which was bloody and awful and looked a lot like Black people and Mexican people's and all other people's Thank experience. Thank you very much. And that's where this question brought me to, because I'm like, yeah, all of, exactly that. All of the experiences are always based on somebody else's back, usually a person of color. Um, and uh, yeah, everybody reaps uh, the rewards while we're usually grasping for straws at the bottom, right? Uh, guys, and, and Canada, Warriors on Crave. So find it on Crave, okay. it's there. Um, oh yeah, when I tapped into that, I was hooked. I was up with my eyes running at 5 a.m. in the morning. I was binging <laughs> like a crazy person. It was it helps fantastic. It helps super sexy. Oh gosh, yes he is. Oh, Lord <laughs> have mercy. He is fine as hell. Listen, listen y'all, watch it. Okay, there's so many reasons to watch it. Beautiful women, um, gorgeous looking beautiful guys. Beautiful men, especially great fight scenes. Beautiful men. The fight and the choreography is insane. And I have so much respect for that because of Bruce, Bruce Lee's daughter is the one that's behind it. And mm. I was like, that's that's fantastic. The fact that she took that and she's running with it and she's producing it. And that's awesome. Girl power, do your thing. But yeah, it, it really, um, bringing it back to this, I just, um, shows like that make you want to, as you did, research and read up on the classism and everything else behind it. And now you have planted that seed in my head. And that is what I'm going to <laughs> I'm do. ruining everyone's television, <laughs> ruining it all for everyone. Uh, no, no I mean, like, I, I, I have uh, Acorn, which is uh, one of those subscription services that you get with Amazon or um, Apple Plus also offers Acorn, which is a bunch of like BBC shows and oh um, yes, yes, you know that are a lot of pyramid. So you watch a lot of things about India, you know, white folks in India, white folks in South Africa, white folks, you know, all over the place, looking hot and sticky, but also elite. While the other people are slaving away, and you're like, wow, yeah, that's actually. You know, the rubber plantations of Africa, the rubber plantations of India is where all of that, mm -hmm. they pay for all of the opulence that we love in these kinds of right. shows. There's paying for those amazing gowns and the feast of the eyes that we can't get enough of. And I mean, it mm -hmm. does it does uh, color the experience a little bit. That's not going to stop me from watching The Gilded Age because I like drama and shade and soapy stuff. So, but, <laughs> you know, but it does, you know... Lots of black people on Facebook and um, Instagram were, you know, going in about how much they love the show. And it just brought to mind, like, how many times we watch shows and are in love with shows that really are about aspirations of people who got that wealth on our backs. And, you know, it's mm -hmm. something to think about. Well, it is. It really is. To, it's complicated, <laughs> right? So, oh boy. Um, these are also stories that we have mixed feelings about. We uh, love certain aspects of these stories, but we recognize how often these are perceived as problematic. Um, an incomplete solution to the problems it's addressing or it just has elements that keep us from absolutely loving it. Um, and clearly, Gilded Age uh, problems did not keep me from absolutely loving it. That's how it made that segment. Uh, what about you, <laughs> AMC? What... What is it that you feel it's complicated about? 
It is complicated. Well, I'm going to go the musical route here and uh, jump on uh, a post or a piece, sorry, that I saw on Revolt. And uh, good old Neo, it's funny because this one raised my eyebrow because we spoke about this previously pre-recording. And uh, it was Neo who had said that R&B has, you know, basically turned into, and I'm not like paraphrasing, this is my paraphrasing, soft porn, aggressive, anti-everything, love related. Okay, (laughs) that's basically what it's turned into. But in his words, it was, it's turned into... Uh, I love you has become, you're my bitch. Um, So the music has taken a drastic turn, uh, particularly R&B music. So it's, it's just rapidly declined into an abyss of exploitation and misogyny, basically. And um, he said, and I'll quote here, let me find his quote. It's, he said, now it's like, okay, we got to move with the times, but at the same time, Love is not a trend or a fad. It's not something that is supposed to go out of style. It's like saying water is going out of style. No, you need it to live. I get it. Okay. So uh, someone had stated uh, that it was his era. I remember, um, I think it was in the comments, someone stated that it was his era that started the the decline. So, and I was like, oh, right, right. I was like, okay. So, granted, okay, I get it. It's his era, but, it, it, okay, it wasn't him. So, remember, he's speaking for himself, right? I guess. For, this is his opinion, um, which you can agree with or disagree with. I tend to agree with him. Um, it's just that it's it's problematic because how do we, like, how do we remedy this? Like, we were talking about we love our cousin from Dave Hollis, like David Hollis. So, you can't have that album without... Some some cussing in. That was his his first debut album when he was like, you know, I'm with my favorite girl. And he asking some particular questions, and my boy was just cussing. I was like, ooh, Dave is cussing. Dave, Dave is, is mad. Dave wants his favorite girl. You know what I mean? And then I mean, the album was Sonic. called Ghetto Stories, so it sure was. <laughs> I mean, it he did sure kind of give you a, 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 and but he didn't stay there. That was just like one album from Dave and a couple of songs that he did. That he switched it up by the second album. He did, he did, and I. But the thing is that I loved it. I'm not even. <laughs> You know what I mean? I'm not going to get on his back about it. It wasn't a full album of My Bitch, My Ho, right? Um, right. It was just a few cusses over here here and there. And then we have, like, let's go to Silk Sonic. I love, love, love that album. And we mentioned that previously. We both love that album. But when I heard Smoking Out the Window, I'm not even going to lie, every time my boy goes, this bitch got me, I'm like, bruh, that's... <laughs> Like, you don't have to, like, come from all the way down in your gut with the, this bitch. Like, can we there change is a up clean the narrative? Version. There is a clean version that says this Who bitch. cares? That's not, that's not how they wrote it. <laughs> this trick. Like, it, that's nicer, right? <laughs> like, you I mean, know, in comparison, so yeah. Yes, yes. But I mean, just just the vibe on it itself, right? So you're like, how can we remedy this? How do you how do you find a solution to turn like the tides or at least try and balance it out? Because yeah, there's Neo and there's a whole bunch of other um writers. Um look at um uh what's her name? Mooney, her hers his and hers. 
that went viral. I can't remember her full name right now, but um, you don't know the track. Yeah, but before. the hours and hours she, song that everybody's listening to on TikTok. Yeah, that one. It's called His and Hers, and it's by Muni. Oh, y'all are gonna like rake us over the coals for this one. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm about to say, I, I thought you were talking about the hours and hours song that everybody's recovering. That is, that's, for it. but it's called His and Hers. That's the name. Oh, of is the that song. the original song? Oh, that's sad. Like I have it on my playlist, <laughs> and the only reason I know, like, I added it because I was like, this is probably gonna have to be on the playlist for the best of 2022, um, for sure, because everybody's is on it. Um, yeah, it's a nice song. It is a nice song. I, I mean, I love the. There's a version of it with Amber Riley and Steve McKay oh. that I think oh. is amazing. Yeah, they do it on on social media. Folks should check that out. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to look for that. But well, yeah, I guess what for, do you to think? your point, I, I mean, I guess so. Uh, I have to do a shout out for Dave Hollis's second album, Chicago '85. And not just because I'm from Chicago, yes. but because that is literally his best album. Um, he's not bested it since for me. Uh, I know a lot of people love the first album more, but Chicago 85 I love the first is his best more. album. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that I've, I've written about this for Soul Tracks. I remember when the trend first started happening, um, at least it was related to cursing. And um, mm-hmm. I'm not a prude. I'm from the hood. I talk about that all the time. Um, from the south side of Chicago. I talk about that all the time. So it's not like my ears are not accustomed to a coarse language, but I I like hip hop for that, right? Like if I want cursing and I want, I, I go for hip hop for that kind of rawness. I didn't really want it in my R&B. For me, R&B was where you right. talked about your love and your relationships and your trials and your tribulations and overcoming or, or not overcoming, just being depressed about the shit, right? But... Um, <laughs> But I didn't, and I remember when those songs first started hitting, and it was weird because I I did in that Soul Tracks piece um, that I'm referencing, I talk about the fact that we've always had some cursing in blues, you know, we've always had double in the window in the blues and R and B, even stuff like uh, my big tick ten inch. Um, which is not about a reference. Right. It's not about a record. <laughs> right. It's about something else but while, while, while making it seem like it's about a record. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, like, so that there's Millie a history Jackson. and a legacy. Mm-hmm. Millie Jackson. I grew up with Millie. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, her Fuck You Symphony. Um, Ooh, you know, yeah. and even in our generation, right? Like, shit, damn motherfucker from D'Angelo. I didn't buy the eyelash. Mm-hmm. Like, it made sense in that particular right. song. Um, and I still can groove to that song to this day, but I think because there was so much more balance, it didn't bother me. And now everything feels kind of dark and nihilistic and nihilistic, or I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Anyway, the people let me know. Um, but yeah, it just doesn't feel, you know, where's the love, right? As, as Neo pointed mm-hmm. out, um, I don't know if it's fair to say it's our generation. Like I said, there's, there's a, a lineage that goes far beyond our generation in setting that trend. I actually think it's more of a millennial Gen Z thing. Um, mm. It's funny when I, I uh, added Peaches to Justin Bieber hit to my best of 2020, 2021 playlist on Spotify. And uh, yeah. my assistant, who's Mexican, I was playing it for, I said, can you call your girlfriend, your, your fiance? 
uh, the baddest bitch? And he's like, oh, hell no. <laughs> like, he, like, she, like, he would, she would be beating my ass. Like, and, you know, but in America, we, we have made the baddest bitch a compliment. Um, mm-hmm. whereas here mm-hmm. in New Mexico, they like, nah, she wouldn't be, that wouldn't be the compliment. And, you know, we've, and we've made it a song, right? So I don't know. I think that, uh, I sound old and get off my lawn every time I talk about this, but I do want less cursing. I do want less coarse language. I do want more love, but I also mm-hmm. think that sadly it may be more reflective of the times, right? Like these are songs and this mood that we're in is one in which men and women are very divided in which right. hooking up is more highlighted or elevated in the public discourse than relationships and, and longer term commitment. Um, you certainly don't like in the seventies, men talked about loving somebody so much that they couldn't live. They couldn't breathe. They couldn't do, you know, I, right. Right. I, yeah. Hard pressed to find a song <laughs> by a black man in 2022 talking about I can't live without you as my woman. Um, And I don't know if that's like a, you know, is that a good thing or bad thing? Because, you know, today that man might would do a murder suicide. Right. (laughs) So, oh, damn. um, You know, but I mean, that's we're talking about. I miss you (laughs) from the Manhattans to now. This is this is the contrast. Right. Right. Well, Harold Melville in the Blue Notes, like almost 10 minute version of that with Teddy just like begging, you know, um, yeah, I I, uh, I don't know. I don't know that there's a solution to it. I do wish that younger people had more love in their life and in their relationships and that that was elevated as something that we should aspire to in our music. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be nice to have a little bit more love in, in our songs. That's all I'm going to say on the subject. Agreed. Agreed. Yes. And thank you for clearing that. My God, I can't believe I left Teddy out of that. What am I? Lord. Okay. Me, well, you know so, I what you got? <laughs> well, I play. It's funny about the Teddy piece. Um, I play that for also for my assistant because he's 29 and I'm giving him black music education all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And the thing about that particular song, Teddy's are like only 20 years old on that recording. And was he? You know, yes. <laughs> he was 19 when he started as a drummer for Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. He was 20 when he started singing lead, and. Um, you know, he sounds like a 40-year-old man who's been in a relationship yes. for 10 years with his wife Yes, on that song. Um, yeah. And that kind of emotional movement is what we want. Funny thing mm-hmm. about that, right? Like, uh, sidebar, uh, there's an article that I posted on my Facebook page. I think it's in the Atlantic. It is in the Atlantic um, for those who want to check it out. Mm-hmm. And they talk about the fact that Old music is beating out new music, like seventy percent to thirty percent on streaming sites. I read that, and, mm-hmm. um, and I think some of that has to do with some of the conversation we're having. That there's actual melodies, and that there's you know technical prowess, and that there's emotional sincerity, and um, mm-hmm. and that there's mm-hmm. and I always talk about this that there's catharsis in songs, and people don't realize yes. how much they want that tension, that build, and that release at the end of songs and and a lot of songs today are meandering and they start the same way they finish and they finish the same way they start. And there's not a lot of um, arranging in them in a way that, you know, there's a lot of arranging about making them ethereal or rough, but not, um, I think that's one of the reasons the Silk Silk Sonic album 
is doing so well is because there are actually traditional song structures in that whole album. Um, yes, yeah. You know, but I think that that's, that's leading to this renaissance where people are preferring, even young people are preferring music of my generation and earlier to the music of their generation. Mm-hmm. Yep, I totally agree. I did read an article um, that was very similar to that, but they were talking more so about its healing qualities and how um, basically older music has all of that. And this is why we tend to listen to to um, older music rather than the music that's coming out today. And yeah, I guess that's why you'll, you know, we'll always be 90s lovers and 80s lovers <laughs> forever and a day. Those mixes are going to get played out. <laughs> Out are you completely. on the local and the young, the youth uh, spiritually bereft? Their music spiritually <laughs> empty. <laughs> what, what you saying, AMC? You trying to get us uh, fired by the? By the I Indians. didn't say a word. Okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Before I get myself in trouble. Oh god. So why it's complicated? Um, for four seasons, the Bill Dubuque and Mark Williams Netflix series Ozark has regaled us with the story mm-hmm. of a Middle American Midwestern family from Chicago. A lot of Chicago references today. Um, the Birds, yeah. uh, coerced into a life of crime in the backwaters of Missouri's Lake of the Ozarks. Um, the and for folks who may not know, Lake of the Ozarks is a real place. It's not just a place for the show, right? Um, though. Uh, through it, we get to see the backdoor dealings of politics, finance, criminal enterprise through the lens of this privileged white family who are often either menaced by the Mexican drug cartel pulling their strings or the financially comfortable but socially poor white trash farming, selling and distributing <laughs> drugs ostensibly from the area throughout the region. Uh, the show is brilliant in its pacing and delivery of its edge of your seat cliffhanger moments and life or death. Mm-hmm. where either Marty, the patriarch's brilliance, gets them out of a jam, the matriarch Wendy's ruthlessness does the trick, or the unexpectedly no-nonsense machinations of the young yet curmudgeonly climber Ruth Langmore that gets them out of a problem. So, like, there's a lot of perils of Pauline, Pauline moments in this show. Um, mm-hmm. Like Breaking Bad before it, which explores similar themes around drugs and white middle-class life, um, Ozark is a show about the transformation of an all-American family corrupted by crime as much as by their own ambition, entitlement, and talents. So that said, it also continues the American narrative of a Mexico riddled by narcos, menacing white people. Uh-huh. Caused, um, And it caused me a moment of hesitation when I was going to recommend the show to my Mexican friends here in Merida, who are all too familiar with the prevailing American narrative of Mexico as narcoland. And it's people as either right. criminals or those preyed upon by criminals or both. And it led me to question, why are we so obsessed with selling this particular story of Mexico? One rooted in some narrow truths. It's not like there aren't narcos here. And it's not like that's not part of the life in this country, but hardly the whole truth about either a country or its people. And in all of these stories, why are white people somehow positioned as the victims of these criminals even when they're complicit and participating in the crime, like the birds. So what are your thoughts? First of all, the birds wouldn't be in this predicament if his friend didn't mess them up. That <laughs> is, that just would have been the end of the show. Okay? Let's just wouldn't go there for a minute. <laughs> would not have a show. Because that friend was not being a friend. 
This is what got them in the predicament. Y'all need to watch it if you're not watching it. Sorry. Spoilers. Yeah, there's going to be spoilers. Okay. Spoilers throughout this. This, I, that's a, this is another show. <laughs> this is another show that I, I binged like a crazy person when it first came out. I stumbled on it, and I said, let me try it out. And then I was hooked from the first show. Um, it is really, really well written. It is fantastic. It it, it it keeps you hanging on by the edge of your seat. I wanted to throw my phone at the TV when I watched this last season. And it's not even, it's a part one. And they're hoping that part two will come out this year. I got words for that, but I'm going to leave that be. So <laughs> with that being said, you are correct with, I mean, you know, when are the white people not the victim? This is this is the thing. We we're so tired of them always being the victim, right? They are always and it doesn't matter how wrong it is. Usually you end up loving them even if they're the protagonist and they're like murdering people and they're slaughtering families, you know, and they're going through it. You still end up having to sit on the side of, "Oh my god, but what if?" and then feeling sorry for them. And there you go, victim. So I, I don't, you know, I, I American narrative. I, I don't know if it's just the American narrative either. So I, I'm going to be totally straight up. Um, here in, in Canada, we love Mexico. And a lot of people still do travel to Mexico. But I think it's because of those narratives. And of course, that's what media is feeding us. Right? So it's always the Narcos, and I love Narcos on Netflix, too. That's another show that I can't get enough of. I can't get enough of anything that is, I know it's horrible, guys, but, like, drug-related and and all of that stuff. And it always seems to center on Mexico and surrounding areas, right? So, again, this is what media is feeding us. So here in Canada... Every time, not every time, but there's a high percentage of when we go to travel um, on the news, it's always um, people getting shot at a tourist spot, people um, getting shot in or getting caught in a crossfire because of a drug war or something. So that really sticks in our psyche and sticks with us. And so you can you can ask um, anyone here, and they'd be like, "Oh, um, do you want to go to Mexico?" And it'd be like, "No, I'll be staying away from Mexico because of this narcos, the narcos, excuse me, um, narcos uh, story that is being continuously fed to us, right?" So it's not just an American narrative. Trust me, um, I think that if maybe we, you know, get. Um, if the focus is turned a little bit and um, we get a different perspective and we're, we're privy to a different perspective, then most likely our thought process would change too. Because even for myself, we have family friends in Mexico. Don't ask me where, please don't. Um, but uh, I grew up with them and they were our best friends and they moved back to Mexico. And um, for me, if I had to go to a resort, I would be a little bit, um, skittish and I'd be like maybe no but knowing that my friends are there knowing that you are there I would come and visit because I would feel safer and that's that's again most likely because of the narrative that I keep on receiving so if the perspective has changed and that's media that's news that's everything because there's murder everywhere 
murder. I know, I know. Don't get me wrong. Um, yes, there are drug cartels there. We have drug. We have gangs here too. We have, you know, all of that is still going on everywhere. It's just that that's all we see and that's all we're told. So. Yeah, I mean, so I live here in Merida, Mexico, and I moved here a year ago. For those who don't know, and um, part of what I received a lot of when I moved here was. Oh, my God, are you going to be safe? Oh, my God, you know, the people that are so poor, um, how are you, you know, why Mexico? And, um, you know, if it was so great, why are there people trying to come here? You know, it can't be that great. And Mm -hmm. I moved here and I experienced black, I mean, Mexican wealth. I experienced deep Mexico, Mexican families who have, uh, you know, generations of wealth and privilege here. Um, mm-hmm. It is, and here the issue is class more than race. Um, you know, indigenous people get the short end of the stick here in Merida, um, and those who are have more Spanish colonial heritage are more privileged. Um, you know, white center or, or what uh, one of my friends like to call white sicans. Um <laughs> So, uh, but you know, I live in a city that has three brand new state of the art hospitals that are about to. Um, build 200 new high-rises that are building a train system between Cancun and here um, that's expanding the ports. Um, so, you know, I, the stories that I was told about what this place was going to be like, um, and, and Merit is unique in that it is, uh, quote-unquote, the, the lore, I will say that, the lore, the mythology here is that this is a safety zone for narco families. Um, that's why the crime rate is the lowest in the Americas. Um, even lower than American cities. Um, mm-hmm. And that uh, the police presence here is super present. Like you definitely see the police here. and um, mm. But they're also like paid almost double what they're paid in other parts of Mex- Mexico. So they're not shaking down tourists like you might hear stories of in other parts of Mexico. But um, even the story that you talked about, about the shooting at the hotel, um, what often gets missed in that narrative is that uh, that's turf war has been driven by white tourism seeking drugs. And so mm-hmm. when the tourists come to the hotels, they're trying to figure out <clears> where <throat> can they get a connect. And, right. you know, supposedly in certain areas, the connect is one organization and another organization is trying to get in that turf, you know, and the same kind of stuff that happens in America. But, mm-hmm. you know, it gets elevated because it happens at a resort or happens at a hotel or happens on a beach. Right. Um, and, that story might be like one story out of 365 days, <laughs> right? That happens in Cancun or Tulum or Playa without the similar level of incidents. Um, but that's what gets elevated. Now, that said, even Mexicans talk trash about other parts of their country. Um, but we do know, it Mexico- too. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and this is, uh, and this is a country which, you know, I, I don't think people appreciate. Like, I live in a state. The state is Yucatan mm. and, you know, which is mm. different than Curo, which is where Playa and Cancun and, and all those places are, which is different from where Mexico City lives, you know, in Puerto Vallarta right, right. in another state. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's kind of like blaming Maine for what's happening in New York for what's happening in <laughs> St. Louis, right? Like, it's like, right, right. you know, we just lump it all together like Mexico, <laughs> right? So... <laughs> Um, and, and that's yep. crazy, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. and so, um, and, and, and similarly enough, I've, I've kind of shamed my family about this. 
um, and some friends too. Like, where was this concern when I lived in Detroit? Where was this concern when I moved to <laughs> Chicago? Where was this concern when I lived right. in DC when it was the crime capital? You know, I haven't I've haven't had people as concerned for my safety um, in the same way that they have been concerned when I moved here um, compared mm-hmm. to some of the other places mm-hmm. I've lived that were equally, if not more, dangerous, um, statistically speaking. So, but it is a sad and um, um, that's not going to stop me from watching Ozark, but uh, there is this kind of. Uh, I actually don't watch Narcos, though. That's very popular even down here in Mexico. Like the whole Narcos Love franchise. It. It's a franchise. At yes. There's multiple shows. Um, uh-huh. Or Gamora <laughs> on HBO Max. You know, or any Ooh, number of shows. What's that? Oh, yeah. It's another show where the Mexicans killing people and drug related. <laughs> right? Okay. So, um, you know, but this is lends itself to kind of the narratives that President Trump put out when during his reign, right? Like, and and people yeah, were believing yeah. because of the mythologies and the stories that they're shared and told about this country. Um, and I always tell people, like, I immediately had a glow up the second I moved here. My quality of life increased a whole class level, um, bringing That's U.S. Cool. dollars to a peso situation. Um, and I'm I'm like mm. I'm never going back. I mean the, the amount of okay. rent y'all paying the amount of rent y'all paying in the United States for these <laughs> coastal apartments, I could live palatially here. Like that's crazy. Don't make me get on a plane now. No, please do. Toronto <laughs> Toronto's crazy with those rents too, trust me. Mm. Trust me. So I think that's our it's complicated for today. And uh, we're going to take a sponsorship break. Um, Say it again. Say it again. A sponsorship break. Uh, So the Gibson Gazette, I'm going to show off this beautiful candle, this gorgeous candle. This is called the Gentleman Massage Candle by Ambiance Mind, Body, and Spirit. And uh, the Gibson Gazette would like to highlight our first show sponsor, Ambiance LLC, a locally owned black business out of Jacksonville, Florida, that specializes in all natural handmade products, including whipped body butters, emulsified sugar scrubs, a full beard line created especially for men of color, a vast selection of crystals and an array of hand poured candles (laughs) that contain no parabens or carcinogens. Um, They also carry loose herbs, teas, and tinctures to address different ailments naturally. Um, We'll place the address for Ambiance in in the description below. In the meantime, you can follow them on Facebook at Ambiance LLC for updates on their upcoming website launch. In the meantime, everybody lean in. (laughs) In the meantime, thanks to the generosity of Ambiance, we are giving away one of their luxurious massage candles to the first five, first five listeners who email us their mailing address to the Gibson Gazette at gmail.com. Don't misspell my last name. Gibson is G-I-P as in Paul, S-O-N. So to address the Gibson Gazette at gmail.com, the first five will receive one of these luxurious, gorgeous Massage candles um, shipped to you in the mail personally. So be sure to check out Ambiance LLC. And thank you, Ambiance, for uh, being our very first show sponsor and giving us these gifts to give away to our listeners. 
And uh, yes. MC, they're also sending you a very special gift bag because, you know, I've already got it. <laughs> I can't, uh, of course, of course. I can't wait. I'll be brandishing it all on Facebook and on Instagram because I love a good smelly candle. And I say that as I turn around and smell like my neighbor smoking weed and it's coming into my place. <laughs> Yeah, this is called so, the gentleman, yeah. the gentleman massage candle. It has shea butter, cocoa butter, almond oil, beeswax, Ooh. and soy. So yes, it's very. And how very does it lush. smell? What is it? Where does it oh. take you? So it's so funny. So uh, the uh, the contact there, Kenya, she was. I, was, I asked her, I was, "What does it smell like?" She's like, "It smells like a man. It smells like a good man." I was like, <laughs> "Okay, it smells like a good man." <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, I, love I actually it. like their Escasa beard line. I, they've sent me other other stuff, but their Escasa um, is my favorite. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, but uh, definitely check that out. Like the smells for that are masculine, but also subtly sweet, um, much like me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, this is a great time for a reminder. Be sure you're liking, subscribing, following, and sharing on whatever platform you're listening to or watching us on. Also, comment or review where possible so that we can climb the charts of the various platform algorithms this show is on. Now, back on with the show with Just Know. For those who are just new to know. us, Just Know. These are stories that we hated or have harsh critiques for. This is where we go in, AMC. All right. Okay. I am going over to the Caribbean on this one. And excuse me if I start changing back and forth, okay, <laughs> with the Creole ending. <laughs> so here's the story now. Um, this is from Caribbean Entertainment Hub. This is where I read this post. Um, it's regarding uh, St. Vincent and the Grenadines. So apparently they're flirting with the idea of celebrating mass and carnival. In a virtual and augmented reality. I have a problem with that, okay? I have a big problem with that. So, quick explanation for my peeps that aren't, like, really up. This is going to be a real, real, like, Coles Notes kind of thing, okay? So, mass is short for masquerade, okay? Carnival is the parade where the masqueraders dress up and they perform during the parade, Okay? So the Caribbean Carnival has a lot of um, celebration origins that are based in colonialism and religious conversion as Europeans settled in uh, the Caribbean region. So it's now become a festival and celebration that's tied to freedom and emancipation of slavery. So it's not just jumping up, whining, carrying on, drinking, and it's a lot of fun, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of um, history um, that's behind it. It's rich history that's embedded, and it's embedded in every single aspect of Carnival, um, again, that I won't go into now because it's a lot. But uh, I believe that creating an alternative reality will take away from the spiritual and cultural significance of Carnival. Um, it's it's not the same when you're like playing mass and you're out there on the road and you're feeling the music and the music is the vibrations and the bass and the people and the artistry and the mass. I mean, everybody comes to see the mass, the colors, the, 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 the feathers, the, you know, it's just, it's so beautiful. The naked bodies. Right? <laughs> I knew you were going there. I was waiting. I was waiting. 
I was waiting. <laughs> the, you know, it, at one point, um, when Rihanna had come home, she had gone home for crop over one year. And I think it was the first year and she was playing mass. And I think it was People Magazine when they first put up that picture and they said, Rihanna's wearing a scantily clad bathing suit with jams. I was like, motherfucker. Listen, <laughs> at least if you're going to write that piece, do a little research, okay? It's really easy to just put in carnival costume, and it'll tell you that she's playing mass and she's not wearing a bikini. But I digress. So, <laughs> okay, I think that um, there's just more to it. So I'm like, is are, are you preserving our culture this way? Like, we don't have to be first at everything because... Actually, with, with them doing this, it would make them the first to do so, and and they would make history, right? Because this is huge. It's momentous. But I feel like we, we don't always have to be present and be first at everything. We don't always have to settle. Like, we haven't, they haven't had Carnival in two years because of the pandemic. And this is why this is coming up. Um, it, uh, some people were like, oh, it's better than nothing. And I'm like, well, is it? I mean, really? You know, you miss the jumping and camaraderie and, you know, the sweat of other people on your skin and, and you're having fun and enjoying the vibe and just and celebrating <laughs> as you do every oh year. Omicron is a ass, <laughs> okay? <laughs> just wrong. You're just ruining everything. Omicron is his best friend. I'm Delta. just saying, all I heard when you said sweat and bodies touching was Omicron. <laughs> Listen. But I'm not saying to have carnival now. There's no way in hell. I don't even know how any of these people are doing that. Uh, that's not... No. But I'm not looking at any kind of virtual business either. I think that it's going to be really hard because the thing here in for Caravana, la, uh, the first year of the pandemic of the lockdown, people were freaking out and then the um, Caravana team was like, oh, let's have a virtual Caravana. And people are like, a what? Like, what are you talking (laughs) about exactly? So you had to actually pay in order to play your mass on screen. And they're like, okay. So some people weren't feeling. (sighs) I don't think so. No, I I don't think so. I really don't. Because I didn't even tune in. I I looked at it and I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to bother. And I know a lot of people that played mass here were just like, no. Because really, when when you're paying for your costumes for your mass... That's big money, first of all, depending on if you're playing frontline, backline, okay? That's a lot of money that you're spending, and you're spending it on the creativity. Think about wearing couture on the street. That's that, All of that is done by hand, peeps. Hand. So one, when Caravana 2021 finishes, the mass camp goes back to start mass for Caravana 2022 already. They're already in form. They're doing all of this by hand. So this is what you're paying for. So it's part of the experience, right? Um, but I just with the virtual reality, I think that's kind of hard too because everybody's gonna have to get like a virtual reality gadget. How are you gonna do that? Those <laughs> things are like <laughs> we're talking Oculus. like a hundred dollars. Oculus, exactly. So right. what? The island is gonna buy a whole bunch of Oculus and 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 spread it out to the the the, the island for everybody to get, like because then who? It's it's not inclusive. There are people that can't afford that, 
You know what I mean? So yeah, how is Facebook that going to Facebook create a scholarship program since they want us all on Meta? <laughs> in the virtual reality, right? <laughs> they want us in the metaverse. They should uh, do a little sponsorship, a little discount. Right. They should work with them to do it. That's you. You sure enough, right? That's right. No joke. So project. I just that's like a demonstration project in Canada. Hey. Oh, that's Saint. That's Saint Vincent. Let them do it with Saint Vincent because they want to do that, or they're thinking about doing that. So, I mean, I just, I just feel like it'll take away from the entire um, essence of of Carnival if they do that. Never mind being the first and making history and doing all of that stuff. Just can we just wait? Like, can we wait? I understand everybody's missing mass and Carnival. I'm missing mass and missing Carnival, but I just feel that. We need to be. We, we don't want to lose the essence of Carnival. So I, I yeah, that's just. So is my your solution goal. to have it later in the year, like during the summer or the fall, and see what happens with the pandemic, or do you think we should just mm. hold off all together until next year? I think we should hold off because that's what we've been doing, and the thing is that we just we're just getting impatient, right? Because Omicron is doing the most. COVID is doing the most. Period. And we're sick of it. Everybody's tired. We're we're really over it. And we just want to get back to life. And Carnival is a part of life. <laughs> you're taking you're talking about taking away Carabana for three years in a row in Toronto? Yeah, mud. That's like, you know, <laughs> same way I don't know what they're doing in New York, but I don't think like the Parkway hasn't even seen um Carnival either. So a lot of places had to cancel Carnival because of COVID, right? And we're going into like year three, people getting really antsy. So I think everybody's just trying to find ways to cope the best way that they can. Um, and and that's where we're working towards, but I, I don't know. And the thing with, with changing dates is that it's really tough because um, Trinidad has their Carnival um, usually first, right? Well, no, they do have it first. St. Lucia used to have it first. Big up my Lucians. We used to have it first, but we didn't want it to clash with Trinidad. Trinidad is is... Like the end all be all, you must go to Trinidad. So what St. Lucia did at a point is that they changed, they moved it because it has to do with Lent too, right? It, it has mm. to fall during Lent. So they they moved um, Carnival and they moved it to July, I believe it is. Um, so that Trinidad becomes the first stop on the Carnival trip for the whole entire year. And then you just keep on knocking them out, right? So usually people go to um, crop over in Barbados or Junkanoo in Bahamas. And, you know, they just keep on going and going and hit all of the trails uh, for Carnival and, and Notting Hill and uh, where else, you know, they, wherever, wherever it falls, man. You just Miami. Miami is like usually in what, September, October. So, yeah, like everybody's you have the whole dates. Cal- calendar down. <laughs> I don't play, man. <laughs> so you know, it's it's how everybody's dates are fixed in, and that's how it's been for years. So to actually move something to the end of the year or middle of the year, yeah, that's not gonna happen. Yeah, I don't, I don't see it happening. Yeah, uh, so I'd love to get our our uh, listeners because I know we have thanks to you. Um, some Canadian listeners for this. So I'd be curious Yay. to hear their thoughts on this. Um, yeah, I don't really have, you know, because I, I, my uh, relationship to Carnival is very American, right? Like, so it's New Orleans. And um, once yeah. I had a job where uh, Travel Magazine um, contracted me to 
do a story on Shreveport's carnival and and also in um, Louisiana, which was nice and much more. It was uh, smaller and uh, more intimate, but it was also a lot of fun. And uh, you know, I wrote a piece on that. Um, But you know, that's really the extent of you know everything else is kind of what I've seen in the media. Um, But I, I, I get it. I I think it's hard. I mean, we are into the third year of the Panini. And uh, and it's still going on and on and on like the Energizer Bunny. Um, Seriously. Uh, so and I think that, you know, people are starting to wrap their minds around that possibility that this is just a new normal and we're uh, going to have to figure out a whole, whole lot of different ways around this, and including mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. events. Um, so for those of you who are carnival heads and this is hurting you deeply. I, I sympathize. <laughs> you have my, my deepest sympathies. Um, so my uh, just know uh, for this mm-hmm. week is uh, critical race theory prohibition bills in the United States. So I'm going to be quoting a lot from Education Week. So according to Education Week, which did a piece on this um, since January 2021, Some 35 states have introduced bills or taken other steps that would restrict teaching critical race theory or limit how teachers can discuss racism and sexism, according to Education Week analysis. Already, 14 states have imposed these bans and restrictions, either through legislation or other avenues. And for those who may not understand, like, what do I mean by critical race theory? So the term refers to decades old academic theory that holds that racism is systemic perpetuated by structural forces rather than individual acts of bias, and even laws and policies that um, appear race neutral on their face can bring about disparate outcomes, um, you know, particularly for uh, black and brown, indigenous, BIPOC folk, right? Um, But over the past two years, the phrase has been warped from its original meanings, used by opponents against uh, diversity trainings, um, as a catch-all to refer to anything, and then you mean anything that makes race or gender salient in conversations about power or oppression. Uh, several of the state bills proposed in 2021 um, describe Trump's list of divisive concepts as critical race theory, even though scholars of the framework maintain that it doesn't teach that certain races are better than others, which is what the opposition um, keeps saying. Or that individuals are inherently racist. Um, With intentional miscommunication around terminology, teachers and school leaders report widespread confusion about what kind of instruction is and is not allowed. So to give you some ideas, how is this playing out? And like in New Hampshire, the proposal would ban teachers from advocating any doctrine or theory promoting a negative account of representation of the founding and history of the United States of America. Now, you think about the fact that a good chunk of the founding fathers of America were slave owners. Slave owners, yeah. Right? So how do you then, you know, so you're not allowed to talk about that, right? Um, According In New Hampshire, you can't. Um, Florida, they're discussing that right now with Ron DeSantos, the governor there. Yeah, DeSantos. Speaks to anything that makes white people uncomfortable, Right. Wisconsin Wisconsin's includes a list of banned terms that include white supremacy, intersectionality, and white privilege, among others. So this begs the question, what narrative America is most interested in telling about itself in the future? 
And for whom does this hiding the past assist? Clearly, it's not assisting BIPOC folks or um, LGBTQ folks. So, you know, for those who are familiar with the Nazi um, era poem about first they came for the Catholics and I wasn't a Catholic, then they came for the Jews and I wasn't a Jew. Well, uh, Florida is also introducing one around LGBT history, culture, language as well. Right. So we started on race and now we're going to expand it to include any references on these things. Now, here's the deal. I coming from Chicago public schools, which at the time had a very large black population in the 80s and even to this day, I think like 30 percent or so of the population in Chicago is black, um, still did not get real black history you know, we got conversations about slavery. It was very superficial. We got some conversation, a little bit of conversation about the civil rights movement, um, usually during Black History Month, which is February in America. And, um, you know, the shortest month of the year. But that was intentional. We chose that month. <laughs> it was originally a week and we expanded it for a month. Um, that was on us. Um, but, uh, you know, but I at least was able to access this access the truth in college, right? So even if I wasn't getting it through K through 12, and most American students are not getting a deep conversation about race or class or gender in K through 12, which is a lot of what these um, proposals and these bills focus on, I was at least able to get it in college. The problem now is that these bills also cover state-funded institutions, which are a lot of colleges. So you're not going to get the truth in K through 12. And also you're now not, not going to get the truth in college either. So that means that you're more open to gaslighting, more open to mythologies and narratives about you as, um, as uh, pathological, as inferior. Um, you know, you don't get to discuss the structural forces that help to inform the narrative that you're experiencing and living in the conditions that you're experiencing and living in. Um, and was also, Oh, excuse me, what's also interesting is what's being proposed is kind of a protective stance, conservative pundit and writer William F. Buckley, the former editor and founder of the National Review, used to take against Black people as being country-hating radicals for whom Western civilization and its custodians needed protecting from. According to the 2019 book on Buckley and James Baldwin's Great Debates by Nicholas Buckala, entitled The Fire is Upon Us, Listening to Buckley of the 1960s, it's clear American conservative Republicans have been playing the long multi-generational game when it comes to losing today but winning tomorrow. Like Buckley was talking this stuff in the 1960s, in the early 1960s, and a lot of these bills, you know, you hear threaded the Buckley and the conservative intelligentsia of 50, 60 years ago, their um, narrative about who black people are and why we're, and what we're trying to do. Um, in raising the specter of how this country was founded, how it was funded. Um, it's interesting timing. Um, there's a, a book that was um, denied publication in Britain uh, some 70, 80 years ago that's now being allowed to be reprinted, reprinted for the first time called Capitalism and Slavery. Um, in Britain, it was allowed to be published in the United States that talks about the fact that the West essentially was financed um, through slavery. Right. And then there's another book, The Truth Will Never Be Told, that also speaks to this. Like those kinds of books would be essentially banned. I mean, then when you couple right. the critical race theory conversation with the book bannings movement that's happening all around the country, it's it's scary for writers of color, 
queer writers, women writers, because we're just now entering a renaissance where publishers are willing to publish those stories, publish those mm-hmm. books, um, both for young adult audiences and adults. Um, but if they can't be placed in the libraries, if they can't be placed in schools, if they can't be taught, which is a lot of book sales, um, then publishers have less incentive to contract writers of color unless they're towing the party line. Um, so this has a chilling effect on the writers, on the stories we're hearing, the stories we tell ourselves. And, you know, again, who does this serve? It's certainly not serving BIPOC people or queer people or women who need to see themselves reflected in the history of this country and our contributions finally being noticed for the first time and documented and talked about in real ways by historians and academics. Um, and white people also need to know this, right? Like, because so that they can deconstruct the narrative <laughs> they've told themselves about yeah. who they are and what they've contributed and what they've done and what they haven't contributed and what they haven't done. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. So what's your thoughts about that? I mean, I obviously clearly I'm against the critical race theory bills. Um, this was the foundation of my blacker programs. That was I had not worked with teenagers in 30 in since I was 33. I'm 47 now, just turned 47 um, since the last time we talked. Um, happy birthday to me. <laughs> and, happy uh, birthday uh, to you. Right. Um, That's all you're going to get. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, right. That's fine. Uh, I got a, a lot of different voicemails. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good on the voicemails. On <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, that was the genesis of my Blacker programs because I was very angry and I needed to do something about the anger that I had about mm-hmm. Black kids. Um, being more vulnerable to gaslighting by this country and by its politicians and by white people um, about right. who they are and who they are not. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's some some plans in the, underway to create a website uh, to help inform black kids all over the place, you know, parents and communities who are interested in starting their own black chapters, their own black programs. Um, and you're going to hear me talk a lot about, you know, over the next year. You know, for those of you who have curriculums, for those of you who have resources, links to um, resources that parents and communities can use to make sure they're educating their own kids. Since now in 14 mm-hmm. states, they can't rely on schools. Not that they ever really could to tell the, the truth about this history of, of their history and uh, this country's history. Much in the way that Jews have had to with Hebrew school and Chinese have had to with Saturday Academy. Right. But their mm-hmm. communities, we're going to have to start doing that for ourselves, too, because. This fight, these bills, it's going to take like another 20, 30 years to get these bills off the books. So what's your it's 35 on states. 35 states are already in line. And you know what it sounds like to me? Status quo, honestly. Because um, when have they ever cared about us anyway? And so this is not surprising in the least. And it feels like um, with the uprising and everything with George Floyd... It was almost like them saying, you know what, let them have their thing. Let them do what they're going to do. And then they're going to just pull the rug out from underneath us and be like, oh, no, you're not getting this. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's and especially because it's 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 slavery. It's how it it's how our people were brought there enslaved. And this is not we're not talking about. 2000 years or before Christ we're talking about right <laughs> around the corner people literally this is 
literally just happened and we're we're still trying to get over this and we have governments in place that have absolutely no care in the world with assisting us in actually telling the truth and um telling the stories that need to be told um and and really these aren't even stories this is real life this happened you this is not something you can cover up or put away on a shelf or you know what i mean like i just it's 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 infuriating really and truly it's infuriating i don't as a kid um and in canada again too like i stated earlier we were not there's so much rich black history in canada it's stupid and we are not taught a lick of it in school underground railroad came through here maybe that was a smidgen of what we received in in school but i mean when we're talking about educators and nova scotia was huge when it came to 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 black history even here in toronto sorry in ontario ontario is a lot like canada is rich in culture when it comes to black history not one peep was um taught to my to me um my siblings that came after me my son who's coming up in school we have one African Canadian school here that caters to black children and um, uh, uh, black history and whatnot. So you you actually have to kind of win a lottery to get in there. Like I I, I <laughs> contemplating trying to get my son into that school, but then I okay. I mean I live far away from it. Things changed, whatever. But um, that's where you'd want to send your child in order to get educated and learn about you know. Um, foods that you know are grown, African foods and things that um, people had to survive within within our culture back in the day, and all of that good stuff, and the history. Um, it's just man, I, the fact that none of these things are going to be in textbooks or because people feel uncomfortable is utter bullshit. It's just utter bullshit. It it no no. And no, no. I mean, the, the, <laughs> Amer- the American Taliban is winning. Uh, Supreme Court is about to address affirmative action. We already know that's going to go. Uh, abortion rights, we already know that's going to go. You know, they have a six to three majority on the conservative side. Um, you know, it's going to be a new yep. era. Yep. Um, and for those who are familiar with Reconstruction, we've been here before, right? Reconstruction was followed by 60 years of Jim Crow um, or slavery mm. by another name. You know, so it's... It's a little scary, right? Like, I think that, um, but mm-hmm. I think it's upon us to do what we can um, to arm our kids, uh, make sure that they're reading, make sure that they're watching and learning documentaries. I don't even think we are fully getting into the full scope of what these bills may mean, you know? So if you're an oh, academic yeah. and you know that your scholarship isn't going to ever be published, um, you know, do you still decide to choose Black history as as your dissertation you know um you right. know if particularly if you aren't allowed to teach it you know particularly depending on the state or the school that recruits you um what is it going to mean for ya books that have only just now started becoming more diverse and reality based um what is it going to mean for pbs like i use a ton mm-hmm. of corporation for public broadcasting documentaries in my black yes. program right because they're Every year they invest in documentaries about black history and black politics and, yep. um, and the story of black folks. 
I can see that going, you know, since we're already attacking, uh, you know, schools and, 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 and libraries, I could see them being next mm-hmm. around this. And then those documentaries are not available for people to teach. And PBS has been, I, I was going to actually say that PBS has been like, wow, it's been a stalwart since I can't even remember. I've, I've grown up with it in the house watching documentaries. And these documentaries that LMG is discussing and that we're talking about are not even only shown during Black History Month. I need you all to take that in because... You know, anytime anything about rich culture, black culture and everything, of course, it gets jammed into the shortest month of the year, as you stated. But, um, you know, it, it gets jammed into February and then it's blown into the wind. But for PBS, you could be sitting down on a Friday night just chilling in like November and a one fantastic documentary on Lena Horn will come on or something like really awesome on Maya Angelou or like you will find the best um, documentaries on PBS. Like it's just, it's mind blowing to me. So can you imagine not having that as an outlet to share and to learn. I have learned so much through PBS. I would sit at my dad's feet and we would watch because he would watch it just every day, all day if he could. <laughs> and um, I, yeah, I've learned so much through PBS. So to think that something like that, remember when Trump was saying that he wanted to cut funding to them for, well, they're, they're I was like, always, are you crazy? Were you stupid? I mean, since the like, Reagan era, they've been trying to defund and, and reduce funding for the corporation for public broadcasting or privatize them. Really? So, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not new. Um, Excuse me. You know, and, and they've been successful in decreasing the funding if you compare it to the kind of funding you enjoyed in the 60s and 70s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, you know, folks got their work cut out. Um, but I will say I'm going to have this call to action for a while. Folks, uh, send me links, uh, resources, curriculums we're, we're kind of create like a, a, a clearinghouse on the black website um we're going to launch this year so that people don't have to reinvent the wheel like there are rights of passage programs out there there are um black history black uh politics black culture black arts uh, programs out there you know if those of you are willing to share the tools that you're using the curriculums you're using the resource links that you're using for free um or low cost uh, experiences so that parents and communities can also have access to them um, without having to spend a, a minor fortune, you know, on them. And, um, you know, in the meantime, we also have to fight the good fight on the policy front. But again, for now, the win is on the back of conservatives. They run a lot of the state houses that are having these conversations. These are very popular. This is what helped elect the uh, first Republican governor in, in Virginia in years. Um, they, he also, you know, advocated on a platform against critical race theory that was very successful. DeSantis is trying to take this to the White House, you know, and I'm sure in the run of yep. a couple of years. Um, so it's just for folks to be able to be aware. And um, we got to do what we can to make sure we're educating our future generations so that they aren't falling for the okie doke. And with that, we're going to switch to a, our final segment, one that we finally get to debut um, in this very long podcast, much longer than we had anticipated, but we had a lot to say, uh, clearly. Um, so y'all might want to break this up into part one and part two for yourselves as you listen. Um, you know, listen to the first part as you go to work and then on the second part as you're coming home. There you go. Uh, there you story. go. So this is stories you tell. Um, 
And so we have stories that we've asked our audience to bring to the table. Um, we'll read a couple of them today. And uh, the thing that you have to do as an audience participating is let us know whether or not you think the story is true or false. Uh, I'm going to read one and AMC is going to read one. And uh, we'll let you know at the end of our stories whether or not they're true or false. Um, and we ask you to submit your stories, right? Like, let us know. They can be funny, salacious, sexy. We all grown here. This is the last segment. For those of you who don't like sexy and salacious, you can cut us off right now. <laughs> for those who are <laughs> ready for the adults-only segment of our show, um, yeah, please feel free to send us your stories one page or less. Do not give us war and peace. We will not be reading it, honey. Um, so one page or less. War and, and peace. Uh, oh, and, uh, and again, you can send anything to thegibsongazette at gmail.com. All right, AMC, go ahead and give us a story that we have been told. Oh, my gosh. <coughs> Excuse me. Do I need to pause it? All right. No, no, no. We good. We good. I just uh, had a tickle in my throat. Okay. So... I'm going to start this one. I'm just going to jump right in. All right, guys. Wait, 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 we're going to give us person an alias for this person? Um, yeah, us, I don't think an alias, alias is this... needed. Oh. Yeah, give us an alias. This is this from, all right. Okay, this is from <laughs> Mike. Mike in um Detroit. All right. <laughs> Let's give it up for Mike in Detroit. Yes. All right, from Mike in Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best you can do on the fly. I, I see you, sis. <laughs> you know, um, yes. All right, I, I'll even try and give you guys a sexy voice. All right. So, I met a young lady while out at a happy hour, and the vibe was right. She was pretty, with shoulder-length curly hair, dimples for days, and a complexion so caramel, she probably made Kraft jealous. Yeah, he went there, Kraft. The night was great. We laughed at each other's jokes, appreciated each other's sarcasm, and get this, she even offered to buy me a drink. Which, looking back, really wasn't that much of anything since it was happy hour, right? Anyway, we exchanged numbers at the end of the night, and I did the unthinkable. I called her three days straight that week. The conversation was just as great on the phone as it was in person. I was growing to like her a lot. On Tuesday, while on the phone, we made plans to meet up Friday, a dive bar, which was perfect since it was probably, <coughs> excuse me, um, it would probably also have happy hour prices. What? I like saving money. So that week, we talked about everything. Well, at least I thought we did. Friday came and the meetup happened. I hugged her as she approached me at the bar. It was wonderful. Same great vibe. Same great happy hour prices. Then it happened. One of her favorite songs came on the jukebox. Yep, there was a jukebox. It's a dive bar. Keep up. And she pulled me from her seat at the bar to dance. It was a sexy song. So as the song went, on my hands went from inside hers to her back. Everything was feeling right until I started to move my hands. And that's when she pulled away. Now, I was confused yet apologetic. Didn't want to do anything she wasn't comfortable with. 
but she assured me I hadn't, but still excused herself to the bathroom. When she came back, she apologized, and then she told me there was something she had to tell me. I sat quietly, and I waited for her to spill. She asked me to follow her to the small hallway where the bathroom was. I did, as I was told. She put her head down and turned around and lifted the back of her blouse. That's when I saw it. A tail. No, not a tail like a fox or even a tail like a dog. (laughs) But it was definitely a tail. (laughs) Lord. I looked in disbelief. A tail, Joe. I looked in disbelief like the confused guy meme. No words. She left soon after that, embarrassed. We spoke later that night, and I asked her why she never told me about her protruding appendage, especially since she'd been (laughs) speaking on the phone every night that week. She said she didn't think I'd understand, and she was right. We never went out again, and I never really thought of myself as shallow until that night. That realization... (laughs) That realization was as startling as the sight of her upper butt. But I couldn't unsee that I had seen. See, sorry. But I couldn't unsee what I had seen. I imagined she couldn't unsee my reaction to what I'd seen either. I wish I had more to say, but unfortunately, that's the end of my tale. Uh, tale. Oh, no. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Pun intended. All right. Uh, definitely intended. Yeah, don't tell us if it's uh, true or false yet. Folks, uh, comment you in the comment not. section. Let us know whether or not you think that first story is true oh or my God. false. And I am going I'm tearing to, up. I know, right? Take us to the second story. <laughs> um, that's a hot mess, child. I, I don't know what to say. I feel bad for her, though. Uh, you know, depending on if the story is true, um, that, that, that's that got to be a lot to contend with. And, um, yeah, you know, I wish How Mike from Detroit could have been tail? more compassionate. I, I mean, I don't. I don't have a tail. I just got a fat ass, so I don't know what to say. <laughs> I mean, I don't, you know, this is this is not. That's what um, take you further than a tail, baby. Listen, listen. You know what's funny about that story is, um, so I went to high school in Germany. I was army. I'm an army brat, and um, for part of my my childhood anyway. And uh, what we were told, and this is back in the '80s, late '80s, and we were told that soldiers um you know had dominated you know germany at that period and uh, white women were trying to date black soldiers and the white men in germany would tell the women not to fuck with black soldiers because they grew tails at night and so white women who still that's the unlike uh mike from detroit this did not deter those women from Sleeping with those <laughs> soldiers, but they 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 would ask the soldiers, and this is true. This is stuff I was actually told um, at the time that they would ask the soldiers where their tail was, that they were looking for their tail to grow at, at night, and that was how the soldiers found out that this was some mythologies that the men were telling the women to get them not to sleep with black soldiers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> tail, huh? Yeah, I'm just so- gonna leave that. Where it is. You know, so I, I'm curious to find out whether or not this is a true story or not, uh, as we think about the mythologies that have been told about black people and their tales. Um, so mm. I'm going to uh, do mine and I'm going to call my guy Daquan. 
and this is Tales of the Trade. So everyone who knows me knows that in my teens to mid-twenties, I love me a good old piece of trade. For the sake of this only being a page, I don't have time to break down what trade is, but if you know, then you know. Anyway, when I was about 22 years old, I was walking to the metro station close to my house when this blue Caprice Cadillac with tinted windows pulled up at the light and flashed its headlights at me. I knew what it gave, but I also knew I'm not the girl to respond to such advances. So I kept it moving. Then that same car blew its horn, cracked its windows, and waved a hand at me to follow it to the next corner. I was young. It was the summer of 08. And I was living my hot girl summer fantasy, so I followed. Anyway, I get to the car and see this beautiful mahogany brown black man who at the time looked to be in his mid to late 30s with a brush cut and perfectly trimmed beard, flashing the most perfectly dazzling smile I had ever seen. Instantly, I start to feel hot and pink on the inside. I want to get touched on the inside part. (laughs) But I can't let him know, so I play it cool and give my best bang. Okay, so I'm I'm going going to edit a little bit. Banji, excuse me, my best Banji, C-U-N-T, I'm not going to say that word, attitude. Uh, Yeah, what's up? He laughed. Um, Child, we exchanged numbers. Text frequently for weeks, and then came time for the get down. So I met him at the train station early in the morning because we knew the trap boys on my block, so he couldn't come to my house um, or my parents' house at the time. Anyway, we get to his hood, and I mean, it was the hoodest part of D.C. I had ever been in, and I lived in pre-gentrification southeast. So we get out the car, and a woman walks up to him and asks, is he holding anything? He barks nah at her, and then she turned to me and asked me the same thing. Baby, he lost it on her and had me clutching the proverbial pearls. We get in the apartment. I sit on the couch, but I'm sitting on top of a pillow. Underneath the pillow, I feel something poking me. I'm thinking it's a remote and reach down, and it's a damn pistol. I looked down and oh, no. I didn't even Mm-mm. think he <laughs> and I didn't even think he could possibly rob me. All I could think of was I just touched this gun and I don't know what bodies are on it. Long story short, oh, we my. still did the nasty. <laughs> <laughs> so clearly this person was not dissuaded, right? But we got pistols, we got drug situations. Long story short, we did the nasty off and on for a few years until I received a, pe- a text. From presumably his baby mama or girl telling all his side pieces that he had been locked up. <laughs> so, oh, shit. Thank God my, wait, for growth and I, therapy. Thank God for growth and therapy. My so girl, my girl didn't trade. even, it wasn't even just a day. It was for a few years. <laughs> right, right. Clearly was not dissuaded whatsoever by any of this, these things. Listen, that 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 must have been some good stuff. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna lie. In my younger years, uh, and I I've had my share of doughboys back in my teenage and twenties, early twenties. So I can't I can't throw. <laughs> I would say I can't cast aspersions on the young man. Um, but so that's Daquan's tell the you. trade. Uh, do you? Now, I don't know if I had to touch the gun and still lay with the person. I think I would have had to get the fuck up out of that house. 
running and screaming hell yeah um like a crazy person because uh i don't play with guns but um yeah you know apparently this person was a lot more brave or ridiculous, whichever one you want to look at it, <laughs> than I would have been at they, the time. Daquan was living that life. At, at Baby, the, listen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm. was Daquan's story true or false? What do you think, AMC? That that just sounds like some everyday drama. I, I'm going to say it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's true. You know when you just get caught up? That's what it sounds like. Somebody just got caught up in the wrong place, wrong time. But that D is good, so I'm just gonna stick around for four years. Yeah, that that's what that sounds like. See, for I me, could be wrong. The years is it the part for me? The part for me is the baby mama letting all the side pieces know by text <laughs> that the trade that got locked up. <laughs> that, that's the piece for me, right? Like she had all of the numbers to let the boys and the girls know that oh yeah, this 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 dick is gone. This dick is gone for a while. Okay. We will not be receiving this dick for a good number of years. Everybody, let us pray. And if you want to put something on the commissary <laughs> on the books for the man, feel free. He's he's located over at Lorton. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the interesting. So, uh, your story I think is false. So you go first. Am I right or wrong? You are wrong. Wow. Sis had a whole ass tail like Arthur. (laughs) Shaking it and shaking it. Yes, sir. Yes, okay. indeed. Had her a little appendage, you know. Bless her heart. That's interesting. I hope she got the Bless hand. it. She got love. Her. She got love herself just as Jesus God is. God made her. God bless it. Um, I'm sure she'll find somebody who love all on her, including her tail. Um, it it clearly sure. was Mike from Detroit, but uh, you know somebody gonna love no. that. Mike said hell to the no. <laughs> what about yours? You think uh, Daquan's was true or not? I, I'm going to stick with the true because I really, like I said, I think that's like drama 101. I love mm. a good piece of drama. So as long as it's not <laughs> happening to me. So, <laughs> All right. But, uh, what's my guess? What's my guess? Well, thank true? you. Uh, you know, it is, is, it is actually true. Both the stories are true this week. Uh, so, uh, Daquan, uh, thank you for sharing your story. Mike from Detroit, thank you for sharing your story. Um, we got some more in. Obviously, we um, just in the interest of time, because this show ran about 12 minutes longer than we even thought we were going to run tonight. Um, we'll uh, save your stories for uh, the next show, um, or maybe even talk Keep about it coming. through our, our Twitter spaces. So, for those of you who don't know, we're going to start our Twitter spaces conversation on the weeks that we don't have the podcast. So um, mm-hmm. next week, uh, be on the lookout, uh, follow us on uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook under Gibson Gazette. We'll have a flyer posted for the date and time that you can catch us on Twitter spaces. And there we're not going to be quite as prepped. We're just going to be shooting a shit about what we're checking out in between in the week. And oh, excuse me, in the stories that moved us. What about you? Anything for you, AMC, before we shut it down for the day? No, I just want to... Re- you know what? Actually, 
Um, guys, get on our Facebook um, page, really, because we're going to post, um, like, there are a lot of things that we've been talking about, and we'd like to drop some links so you guys can actually check out, uh, like, the um, the uh, Blacks in Canada post. Uh, Mike could post that. Um, Michael can post um, a couple of the uh, uh, links that we were discussing. <clears throat> Excuse me. In regards to the um, the bylaws that are going on and, and some other stuff, too. So uh, be sure to check out our Facebook page because we will be dropping stuff. And you guys don't want to miss it. We'll also make sure we put uh, this information in our descriptions for this episode, um, including links to some of the stories we referenced. Uh, and also, for those of you who prefer looking at video, you can find us on YouTube. And um, on Facebook page for our video version of the Gibson Gazette. Um, in the yes. meantime, what stories are you telling yourself and what stories are you telling the world? Thank you for checking out the Gibson Gazette. Remember to like, subscribe, share and discuss, comment and review um, this podcast. Thank you for hanging in with us on the second episode of the Gibson Gazette. Good night, y'all.